with us for the first time. We do just want to say welcome. Uh, we want to say you're in a unique series uh, with us as we uh, journey towards Christmas. We um, enjoy from time to time doing this series, Christmas at the Movies, where we look at some Christmas classics. And I use it as a, a launch pad, so to speak, for the sermon today. So I'm going to pretend most of us are familiar, but let me, let me give a brief synopsis if you're by some stretch of the imagination unfamiliar with Home Alone. Let me, let me read uh, what you just endured. Actually, what you just endured was 13 minutes of an hour and 42 minute movie. All right, so thank you for your grace uh, at the beginning. But I wanna say Home Alone is a Christmas classic. Now I will say for, for my generation, no doubt about it, uh, it's Christmas time, the McAllister family is preparing for a vacation in Paris, France. You know, just a standard Christmas vacation in Paris. But the youngest in the family Kevin got into a scuffle, as you are familiar with what we saw, with his oldest brother, Buzz, and was sent to his room, which is on the third floor of his house. The next morning, while the rest of the family was in a rush to make it to the airport on time, they completely forgot about Kevin. All the parents in the room are patting themselves on the back. We never forgot our kids on a trip to Paris. Amen? All right, we're doing pretty good. Having pizza all to himself, jumping on his parents' bed and making a mess was the joy of being home alone for Kevin. Then Kevin discovers about two burglars, Harry and Marv, about to rob his house on Christmas Eve. I want to apologize up front that we didn't get perhaps the most famous quote of Home Alone, you filthy animal, in the script. Okay. Kevin acts quickly by wiring his house with makeshift booby traps to stop the burglars and to bring them to justice. Home Alone hits a nerve, however, because I think it speaks to perhaps one of life's greatest vulnerabilities and one of life's greatest fears, Home Alone. That despite a room full of people, or despite a plethora of relationships, sometimes we're crippled by the sense of abandonment, or isolation, or loneliness. Home Alone highlights a significant fear for most of us that we wrestle with from time to time. I think it's appropriate just to say, you're not alone in wrestling with abandonment, loneliness, or a fear of isolation. One of life's greatest vulnerabilities is this sense of aloneness. And we take Kevin's aloneness, aloneness excuse me, with a pinch of salt. It's a funny comedy movie. We know that his family's coming back. We know that Christmas will be saved. And everything will seemingly be happy ever after. We do have a tendency to take our own aloneness far more seriously than Kevin had to in this classic. We are the story. And many times, people aren't making comedies about it. We aren't watching it, we're living it. Life's difficulties, trials, struggles, and suffering can be temptations for any soul to live in fear, despair, and loneliness. 
The Christian hope offers a different perspective as it reveals a God who loves us, knows us, and longs to be with us. Christmas time is about a God who came near. Not a God, I should say, the God. A heavenly Father that longs for His people, that loves His people, that sees His people. And everyone in this room knows the power of our circumstances, knows the volume of the voices, whether that be fear, shame, whether that be even uh, people in our lives sent to discourage, can oftentimes trigger us into a frame of mind where we live with a sense of abandonment. We live with a sense of aloneness, I should say. So my moment here is to speak three truths into that space of our lives. It's one I've not completely conquered. It's a, it's a place the enemy still tries to discourage or distract the soul. The voice of fear that could come, sometimes unknowingly, seemingly, I think many times as Christ followers, even as we mature in our faith, one of the greatest elements of spiritual warfare is silencing the voice of the enemy. Scripture is very clear how we silence the voice of the enemy is that we raise up a standard, not just any standard, but the power of God's word, the truth of God's word becomes a standard against him. And so my prayer is that these three thoughts, yes, disguised in the midst of Christmas at the movies with a Fanta and popcorn in your hand, would penetrate your heart and maybe sneak in, should I say, behind any perceived walls that may be overprotecting you from experience the love, the peace, the joy that Christ gives us. And on display in those moments is the heart of the Father who knows you by name, who sees you, and he comes for you because he loves you. So I want to take a moment and share three. Some will be uh, more personal, perhaps, than others. Some of them are going to seem a little bit like you're watching a Hotel.com commercial with Captain Obvious, and I understand that. But I do pray that these words and these scriptures will penetrate your heart and give you a hope that lasts everlasting. So this first thought this first truth I want to speak into this aloneness that we have is to go completely the other side of the pendulum, completely the antithesis of aloneness, forsakenness, and that is to declare this truth that God is with us. Completely the other extreme, God is with us. The truth that God is with us. We get the phrase, you're perhaps familiar, it's particularly popular during this Advent and Christmas season, the name Emmanuel. For those who know it, what does it mean? God with us. It was originally proposed by Isaiah, prophetically seeing the prophet, major prophet in the First Testament, Isaiah seeing the future and knowing in his heart that eternal thread flowing through humanity, and he's declaring the Messiah will come, and they will name him Emmanuel. And you have Matthew recording in the first gospel in the New Testament. You have Matthew writing down in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, quoting Isaiah from 500 to 600 years prior. He says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will give him the name. They will call him 
Emmanuel, which means God with us. Home Alone is a movie title that draws us in all the familiar and funny highlights, yet Home Alone is many of our reality. We feel alone in this world, left aside to make their way through into the future however they can, relying on their own strength, their own vision, their own purpose, and own hope. It's also possible to be in a group setting, surrounded by people, connected on multiple social platforms, and never seemingly sense the Lord's nearness. I want to make you aware today that the very of nature very nature of Christmas is this, Emmanuel. If you're like, Pastor, get it to one word. Okay, Emmanuel, God with us. A God who was unlike all the other Greek and Roman gods. They kept their distance, kept their separateness. Here we have in the Christian God, the God of the First Testament and the New Testament fulfilled in Christ. He enters humanity. This is particular personal to me in one of the greatest ways I experienced Emmanuel was not with a face-to-face encounter with God. It was not for me an audible voice, but it came during one of life's most or more difficult seasons. You have a difficult season. It may not have looked like my difficult season. But during the season of church planting, It was a difficult season. There were new stresses. There were new problems. There were new people. There was a lot of weight that previously in ministry I had not had to carry. And my wife can attest to the fact I wasn't always sleeping the best. You ever been there? I was sometimes, as I like to say, stressed out of my mind. I'll tell you about God's nearness. At the time... We weren't living in our home in Sellersburg. We were renting as we first had moved up to this area. And we were the other side of 265, renting a home behind Community Park. And one of my stress reliefs, I'm going to shock you all here, is running. Believe it or not, running. All right? And and I have a friend who's like, I only run when things are chasing me. But there are a select group of us who actually find running to be a blessing. That's why I'm perpetually injured. Aside, aside from that, okay. I would go for runs in Community Park, and I kid you not, this is, this is the first week, I believe, of church planting. A lot going on. A lot of weight. Distressed. Again, not sleeping the best. Things were, things were good. But again, stress has a way of bringing a weight, and if we're not careful, that weight distracts us, and that distraction can discourage us. And then we begin to gain a perspective that is somewhat of an illusion. So I was not alone, but I felt alone. I was not forsaken, but I felt forsaken. I was not in despair, but I was in despair. So a standard run for me was to run into Community Park, get my headphones going, and circle the lake. And on rare occasion, there is a part of Community Park that leads down to the 4-H fairgrounds of Floyd County. It's a winding road that I used to go to 
till I encountered a snake, but that's a separate story a different time. Let's stay with the project. I'm moving down, I'm running down, and if you're familiar, you can check this out after church if you want. Not that you want, but if you did. You're, I'm going down. I didn't use the steps, I used the pathway. But I just so happened to be running. I got my iPhone in my pocket, my jams, my, my worship going, kind of out of breath. I'm coming down, and I just happened. I looked left, I'm sure, to make sure there were no snakes, and I happened to look right to the stairwell, and I stopped in my tracks. Somebody had chalked those words on the steps. Don't know when. And when I would go back, they weren't there. But on that week, on that run, God didn't hand me a million dollars. God didn't, poof, grow our church by five times. God didn't all of a sudden send me all the things I was praying for. He came close and he shared with me the greatest truth that would hold me in that season. I'm with you every step of the way. It's the power. It's the power of God. I would like, I would like to say, you know, that run was after two hours of diligent intercession on my knees, calling for the Spirit of God to invade. No. I was in my most vulnerable frame of mind. I was in my weakest season. I have some regret from that season. No bones about it. I don't live in it, but sometimes when I reflect on it, I get an adrenaline rush and I think, whoo. That is the region God many times meets us in our vulnerability, in our difficulty, in our aloneness. It's the voice of God. It's the hope of God. And it's the peace of God. And maybe the whole reason you're even here today is to steal my story as a thread of hope for the suffering, the trial, the difficulty you're enduring. Maybe that photo can be used as a seed of hope for your soul. That if he did it for me, he'll do it for you. Things come in strange ways, mysterious ways. And if you know my personality, by golly, you knew I went back every day, it seems, after that to double check. Is it still there? Is it still there? No! It rains in southern Indiana and it was gone. Glad I took a picture. But it's this truth, this reality that, listen... Sure, we may be home alone, but you're not alone. God is with us. Perhaps the greatest gift humanity has ever known, yes, in Christ Jesus, but also, yes, in the Holy Spirit. Because in the resurrected Christ, we get the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. So here we got Jesus of Nazareth in the flesh, fully God, fully man. But after the resurrection, we have the resurrected Christ, who last headline I checked has appeared to over 200 plus Refugees in Gaza camps in the middle of the night in their dreams. That's the risen Christ. He's no longer limited 
to one location. But now, he is Christ, as Paul says, who fills all things. He's available to us, and he's near us. And as if to state the obvious, Emmanuel, God is with us. My second thought here is God's love compels his nearness. God's love compels his nearness. It's his love that motivates him to enter your story. In the frailty, the fragility, the vulnerability, call on his name. Sometimes the most rich, deep, theologically accurate prayer you could ever say is, God, I want to encounter your love like never before. I want to encounter your love. We don't serve just the God limited to the bindings of the scripture. No, he's alive, he's active, he's real, and he's moving in our midst. And it's God's love that compels his nearness. A little wink to Kevin's mom, who, lest we never forget, did completely forget him for this entire trip to Paris. Footnote aside, Kevin's mother... Upon realizing the distance, the space, unknown or unbeknown to Kevin is now moving heaven and earth to get back to Chicago for Christmas Day, enduring a ride in the back of a van with a polka band, somebody. (laughs) Kevin's mother is moving heaven and earth to be near her son. It's her love that compels her nearness. And in a far more weighty, substantial, supernatural way, unbeknownst to you, maybe even in your very story right now, you need to hear this spoken over you. Just wait. God's love is compelling his nearness. His nearness is coming towards you. He's not distant. He's not far He's not sitting around the Thanksgiving table enduring your presence. I'd rather be anywhere. When does this thing end? You're a yapper. How long are you going to talk? Can we get on? No, God likes you. God likes you. Like he likes being in your presence. And it's his love that compels. 1 John 3, we know this to be our truth. Um, Many historians and theologians actually say that uh, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John is some of the the highest, highest theological scripture, even in its simplicity, because it provokes an experience and a revelation of God, and particularly God's love. Like it is jarring to perhaps our spiritual life at times or what we've encountered in spiritual settings, to hear John make this radical phrase, God is love. God is love, his very essence. Now, many people live God's condemnation. God is annoying. God is angry. God is frustrating. God is disappointed. 
reason many consider it such the highest form, so to speak, theologically is because of the depth, the eternal thread that flows throughout John in the encounter with God that he had in that he understood and could recognize God is love. And so our head knowledge, we can check that box. But as your head hits the pillow knowledge in your heart, do you know that God is love? He uses the aloneness. He uses the vulnerability. He uses the difficulties of life. If you're in a trial right now, if you're in a valley right now, I don't say this tongue-in-cheek. I I, I smile for you and I say, get ready. Get ready. You have a good shepherd, a good shepherd who's not avoiding the valleys. He's entering the valleys with us. We have a Savior, as Hebrews would say. We have a priest who is not distant from our trials and temptations. But as Hebrews says, he enters. He's familiar with the territory of our soul. And he's near us. And then the third is, this is, this is perhaps a, 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 a hopeful seed for you who are unspiritual. This is perhaps a hopeful seed of you that are here just to endure because somebody dragged you in. Or you thought it was God, but quickly coming into church, you're like, that ain't God. (laughs) Just kidding. This is for you that don't quite know why you're here. Or as you go about your week, you're thinking to yourself, man, I'm not a very spiritual person. Can I tell you? That's exactly where you need to be. And I don't say that flippantly. God meets you exactly where you are. One of the greatest misreadings of our scripture is the Beatitudes that Jesus begins his infamous Sermon on the Mount. And he lays before us several experiences of being blessed. And it does kind of make you scratch your head. But in many ways, that's the point. Jesus begins in the Gospels in Matthew, a few chapters later than Matthew 1. But Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus, the truest, most pure and accurate revelation of our Heavenly Father. Jesus came to reveal the Father. And Jesus is here giving his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. And here's how he begins. Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, 3, in the message translation, Eugene Peterson does a phenomenal job. He says this, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you there is more of God and his rule in and through your lives. This poor in spirit equals spiritually poor. Those who feel unspiritual in your unspiritualness you're blessed you're whole and Jesus extends the invitation come follow me and then he lays out Matthew 5 Matthew 6 Matthew 7 not as suggestions but commandments to fully engaging and living the blessed life that he's called for us to engage with. 
It's remarkable because in that Sermon of the Mount, you can guarantee the religious leaders that was a shocking phrase, a shocking statement for them. Blessed for poor in spirit, those that are at the end of the rope, those who feel marginalized or on the outside looking in, that's when you're blessed. And Jesus would say, that's when you're blessed. In fact, by some original language, I won't bore you with all the details, but in some of the original language used to describe the disciples, we get the nice translation where it says, they were unlearned men. And in the Greek, idiotis. <laughs> to which some of us says, thank God there's hope for us, all right? That's the original language used for these men that were being transformed into their rabbi, Jesus. And God looks at you and, and he says, man, follow me. And, and, and our first response, ah, I've done too much. I've said too much. I'm, I'm, I'm unworthy. Man, if God really knew my family of origin, he really knew my story, he wouldn't tap me on the shoulder. And Jesus gets down, looks you in the eye, says, I love you. I'm for you. When, oh when, oh when are you going to go all in and follow me? When are we going to turn that page? When are we going to turn that leaf? When are we going to start writing the story I've come to give you? When are you going to let me love you with the full force of heaven? I think sometimes Jesus looks us in the eye. And he's like, I, I, I can't freak him out on this run right now, but I am going to show up with some chalk. Probably from an IUS student. And I'm just going to have them scribble. They don't know it, but they're my servant. I'm going to have them scribble. And I'm going to encourage Paul. I see him. I see his vulnerability. I see his frailness. I see the difficulty. He's lost perspective. Too bad. No, he's lost perspective. Therefore, let's have some fun. And he gets those words written on those steps. Can I tell you, I think if you think about your story, if you think about your life, if you think about the interventions that God has brought across your path, those moments where you taste and see that the Lord is good, my prayer for you is that you would continue to hold on to those in the difficulties, in the hardship, in the moments where like Kevin felt good for a while to be away from the family. Sometimes feels that way when we've been with God and been with the church and we're like, man, it feels good to be away. And then we realize, I was wired for this. I was wired for love. We're going to pray and close this time together, but I want to invite you to pray with me, not just be prayed for, but to pray with me just where you are, with what you have going on. And this prayer really is for those that you can't describe it, but you knew you're here to hear that message. I want to invite you, just all of us, to close our eyes. Just private altar for you right where you are, seated. 
the chair that you're in, I just want to invite you to lift your hands to the Lord right now. Listen, I get it. Masks keep us safe. But with God, I want to tell you, you don't have to mask up. He sees you. He knows what you're walking through. And I just pray that you would sense, Lord, would your people sense the love you have for them? Would they know the scriptures, God, that declare, I never leave you, I never forsake you? For some, Lord, the greatest word they can hear from you today is, I'm with you every step of the way. Holy Spirit, would you whisper the peace and bring the peace that passes all understanding? As Paul was able to declare in Philippians, perhaps the most joyful book of the Bible, written from prison. Because, Lord, his experience and understanding was not limited to his circumstances. But, Lord, it was unlimited because of his relationship with you. And I pray that for each of us walking in your ways, following hard after you, God. And those returning to the faith, God. Would you be the lifter of their head? Would you be their shield and exceedingly great reward in Jesus' name? And just a sense of closure for our time together. If you're here today, whether through invite or whether you've been coming for a season or whether you just stumbled in today, so to speak, we want to let you know that you can leave here walking in relationship with God. You don't need to join our church. You don't even necessarily need to speak with someone in this moment. I want you calling upon God. If you know that he's knocking on the door of your heart. If you know that he's calling you to walk in relationship with him. Simply say this with me. God, I call upon you. I need your salvation. I recognize you are the savior that I desperately need. Forgive my sin. I confess the error of my ways to you, God. Come into my life. Save me. Heal me. Transform me. In Jesus' holy name, we pray. Amen. And amen. Thank you for your time this morning.